Good morning. As we think about this morning's gospel, uh, have you ever heard something more foreign to the world in which we find ourselves? More counter to everything that we see going on all around us? I don't know about you, but I hear much more conversation in today's world about how we should argue with folks we disagree with, how we might expose people who say the wrong thing and prove people wrong who are on the other side of any issue than we are. So I was thinking we might just stop and pause and, and, and take a minute, take a deep breath and consider these words. Jesus said, I say to you that listen, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from anyone who takes away your coat, do not withhold even your shirt. Give to everyone who begs from you. And if anyone takes away your goods, do not ask for them again. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For, every, for even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you hope to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners and receive as much again. But love your enemies. Do good and land, expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, who is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, just as God is merciful. I mean, have you ever heard something more directly appropriate for this moment? for this time that we're in, something that more precisely and acutely challenges the world in which we find ourselves. As we approach Martin Luther King Day, for the past few years, I have made it a practice of mine to go back and, and read Letter from Birmingham Jail. Uh, it's interesting to me and has become meaningful to me for a number of reasons. Um, you know, some of the, the very literal aspects you hear Dr. King talking about what was going on, uh, people running for local office and in and, and the very real world um, that that was going on around him. But every single time I gravitate toward his famous lines about the white moderate, listen to this. In Letter for Birmingham Jail, Dr. King says, I must make two honest confessions to you, my Christian and Jewish brothers. First, I must confess that over the past few years, I have been gravely disappointed with the white moderate. I have almost reached the regrettable conclusion that the Negro's great stumbling block in his stride toward freedom is not the white citizen's counselor or the Ku Klux Klaner, but the white moderate, who is more devoted to order than justice, who prefers a negative peace, which is the absence of tension, to a positive peace, which is the presence of justice, who constantly says, I agree with you in the goal you seek, but cannot agree with your methods of direct action, 
who paternalistically believes he can set the timetable for another man's freedom, who lives by a mythical concept of time, and who constantly advises the Negro to wait for a more convenient season. Shallow understanding from people of goodwill is more frustrating than absolute misunderstanding from people of ill will. Lukewarm acceptance is much more bewildering than outright rejection. Have you ever heard something more directly appropriate for this time? Something that more precisely and acutely challenges the world in which we find ourselves? I have to say a quick disclaimer. Uh, there is a sense in which I feel deeply uncomfortable offering my personal thoughts on Dr. King's teachings and writing. After all, I am the white moderate that he speaks of. I know what that sounds like, but I, I, I really identify with that. And it hits me, it hits me square between the eyes when I read it. Last year, I heard this interview with, with Glennon Doyle, an author that so many, so many people lean on. And, and I've really appreciated her insight and ability to, to frame conversations and speak truth. And she was talking about this exchange that she had uh, with her daughter during the, the Black Lives Matter protests that we saw last summer. And she said that she had always thought of herself as someone who would have been out with Dr. King, who would have been out protesting and, and, and walking, you know, over bridges and being caught up in, in those scenes. And through this conversation with her daughter, um, essentially it came out, well, why would you think that you'd be with Dr. King then if you're not with, you're out in the streets with the Black Lives Matter protesters now? It's a powerful, it's a powerful question. Um, everyone has their own reasons, everyone has their own ideas of why, but the bottom line is when, when we identify with what we would have done without considering what we're doing now, um, it's a, it's a powerful process to go through. You know, in a minute, uh, I'll get to a few ways that we might all work together to make progress toward this beloved community that Dr. King often spoke. But for now, I just need to say, I read Dr. King's uh, teaching, not because I think I live up to them or, or, or anything like that, but, but precisely because I don't. I don't live up to Jesus's words either, right? Isn't that the nature of our relationship to the prophetic word? These words that transcend generations and the issue of this urgent moment, those words are never actually fully attainable. We're always striving, always pushing toward them, in some way. This week's lessons, this week's readings, and the teaching of Dr. King also remind me of something that is so important to me and to, to other people of faith. This notion of the ongoing revelation of the divine. I mean, you know, as church folk are drawn to, to letters uh, written from prison, right? And so I, when I think about the flowing, unfolding nature of what is good and true and how it is revealed throughout humanity, I'm drawn to these words from Jesus in some ways, just as I'm drawn to the words from Dr. King. Over and over, the question, though, that we have to ask ourselves once we receive revelation, once we have that epiphany, is what do we do? How now shall we live? In reading some of Dr. King's work in anticipation of this opportunity to share a few thoughts 
with all of you this morning. I found a sermon from Dr. King uh, to Dexter Avenue Baptist Church. I, the, the source I found, a Stanford library of Dr. King's writings, um, was was actually from, I think, sometime in the late 50s, probably 57. He's preaching from the Matthew version of our gospel text from Matthew 5. And this is, this is, this is what he says in his, in his sermon. Now, first, let us deal with this question, which is the practical question. How do you go about loving your enemies? I think the first thing is this. In order to love your enemies, you must begin by analyzing self. And I'm sure that seems strange to you that I start out telling you this morning that you love your enemies by beginning with a look at self. It seems to me that that is the first and foremost way to come to an adequate discovery to the how of this situation. Now, I'm aware of the fact that some people will not like you, not because of something you have done to them, but they just won't like you. I'm quite aware of that. Some people aren't going to like the way you walk. Some people aren't going to like the way you talk. Some people aren't going to like you because you can do your job better than they can do theirs. Some people aren't going to like you because other people like you and because you're popular and because you're well-liked. They aren't going to like you. Some people aren't going to like you because your hair is a little shorter than theirs or your hair is a little longer than theirs. Some people aren't going to like you because your skin is a little brighter than theirs and others aren't going to like you because your skin is a little darker than theirs. Some people aren't going to like you. They're going to dislike you, not because of something that you've done to them, but because of various jealous reactions and other reactions that are so prevalent in human nature. But after looking at these things and admitting these things, we must face the fact that an individual might dislike us because of something that we've done deep down in the past, some personality attribute that we possess, something that we've done deep down in the past and we've forgotten about it. But it was that something that aroused the hate response within the individual. That is why I say begin with yourself. There might be something within you that arouses the tragic hate response in the other individual. You know, this idea of starting with ourselves really, really struck me. When I read that that sermon, that piece struck me because I think uh, it's actually some pretty incredible insight for our exact moment, right? I mean, after all, many of us have actually only been spending time with ourselves um, over the past several months. So starting there seems actually like a good idea. But it is also powerful for us, no matter where we find ourselves in this current moment. For my brothers and sisters of color, starting with yourselves might mean one thing, and for the white moderate, I'm pretty sure starting with ourselves means something different. I also came across uh, this, this amazing image on Instagram of all places. I mean, where do you go for your divine inspiration? And I found these two images uh, from, from a designer, activist, writer, um, Danielle Koch. Uh, on Instagram, she's known as O at, so it's at O Happy Danny. And she put up these two images, and one was the cycle of inaction, and one was the cycle of action. And I want to run through this cycle as an idea, as an offering for us as we move forward. So <clears throat> there are several parts to this cycle, and the first one is horrific injustice that then might lead to shock and confusion which then leads to an emotional response. And then she says it leads to performative allyship, which can lead 
to guilt and fatigue, and then inaction and passivity, which leads to apathy, which allows and leads to horrific injustice. And it goes round and round. And then on in her Instagram post, she offers, um, she's kind of scratches out in, and she offers an, an, an alternative. So what she calls the, the cycle of action. And it turns into a bit of a, a, a statement, a series of statements. And she says, so when horrific injustice takes place, we won't be overtaken by shock and confusion as if the fruit of systemic oppression is surprising. Instead, our emotional response will be marked by empathy and compassion, leading to a rejection of performative allyship in exchange for the real vigorous work. And should guilt and fatigue try to settle in, we'll recenter the needs of those yearning for liberation. Remembering that inaction and passivity are detrimental to justice and that apathy is the antithesis of unconditional love. That's the cycle of action. So the, the thought, the offering, the prayer that I have for us and our community, for you where you sit today, for those in your house and those surrounding you, is that we may break the cycle from inaction to action. May we lean in to the radical nature of unconditional love, a love of neighbor and a powerful, strong self-love that leads us to action. May we stand steadfast against the powerful pull of apathy and passivity. And instead, may we find places to show up and get about the work of bending that moral arc toward justice. And may we each say, let it begin with me. May it be so.